As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Yo, I'm comfortable talking to Mark Alford. He don't make me feel like I gotta kneel at a dark altar. His colleagues are cool, things are jolly and smooth. Anything else, it'll be part stupid and part awkward. Frank White is an eight-time Gold Glove recipient who played 18 years for the Royals and even won the World Series back in 1985. Frank is probably at one of his toughest at-bats in his life, though, as the county executive of Jackson County, Missouri. I got comfortable with Frank at my house in Kansas City, and we talked baseball, bass fishing, and the bruises of politics. So welcome. Oh, Good to you. see you. Nice to be with you, Mark. I appreciate it. Very We've much. known each other for how long now? Oh my God, double digit years. I know that. <laughs> it's getting up there, isn't it? Yeah, the time goes fast. Yeah. When did you stop playing uh, for the Royals? Uh, 1990 was my last year. And then I set out a year that I uh, went to work for the Red Sox for four years. What'd you do for them? I managed uh, minor league rookie ball one year, and then I coached first base in the major leagues for three years. Wow. Did you like that? I loved it. Uh, yeah. 94 through 96, uh, 95, we won the Eastern Division Championship. And uh, we lost to Cleveland in the first round. So, yeah, but it, it was it was great. It was, Boston was just a totally different uh, animal in terms of uh, fans coming to the games. How so? Uh, they they they're into the game. Uh, you know, they were. I mean, even when I played against them, you could always tell they were play by play fans. You can make a great play, no matter where your uh, home team, visiting team, they cheer you and and they they just appreciated uh, hmm. really good baseball and they came to every game they packed every 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 night it was 33,000 and and they were into it and they they did their own players the same way they they when they didn't make good plays they they, they yeah. let them know about it but it was it was just a great atmosphere for huh. baseball now you didn't live there did you i lived there during the, during the summer yeah uh, we went well, we go to spring training, and then from spring training to Boston, and and spend the summer there. It's kind of expensive up there, isn't it? Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't make any money at it, but uh, but the uh, just just the uh, the atmosphere was great. Being able to be be with a different organization uh, for the first time in your career, and and understanding that everybody's trying to get to the same place mm-hmm. as the championship, but everybody's got a different way of doing it. How was the Red Sox way different than the Royals way? Well, I, I think uh, money would be one. <laughs> yeah, they had <laughs> a bigger spending. Yeah, you know, I think they're more progressive in the uh, free agent market, uh, salaries, things like that. Uh, I think it's how you um, select your players. That was the first uh, time that they brought came in with the, uh, uh, the, the statistics, the Bill James statistics, and, and they tried to put teams together based on, uh, mm. on those statistics. And that uh, was probably 90 Six when they like in the started. movie Moneyball, yeah, same way, mm-hmm. yes, and and so everyone else was still doing it the traditional way, right? And they were trying to put it together uh, it, by guys' numbers and things like that. But what what we found out though that really, if you take a guy who's who's made his career batting seventh or sixth in a lineup and doing very well, doesn't always translate into batting fourth and being that guy that make the difference uh, on another ball club. How much does character matter in building a team? I think it matters. Uh, I think I think that the 
the thing that players do well uh, is is they don't really distinguish between uh, they you don't want anybody that's going to be constantly causing problems for you you know not only in the clubhouse but in the community mm. but I think you have twenty five different players from twenty five different backgrounds and and I think it's important to get to know each guy you know the bottom line is getting to the umpire saying play ball and and focusing on winning the game. And then over the, over time, you work on the other things like teamwork and chemistry and things like that. So now you still do some things for the T Bones, right? Mm-hmm. What do you? What's your position with them? Well, the minor league team here in Kansas City. <laughs> well, when I left the Royals, uh, Chris Brown, Chris Brown in '85 was our bat boy uh, in the clubhouse, and now he's been a GM over at the T Bones for I think going on his twelfth year this year. He was the bat boy he was when a, you were with the Royals. He was a bat boy. Yes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> And that is your boss. <laughs> and I, well, and, kind and, of. And so when I left yeah. Royals, he called me and said, hey, come hang out over here for a while. And, and I really didn't want to get uh, away from baseball. I, I yeah. love teaching baseball. I, I still do private lessons on Saturday mornings and try to help kids. And I coached Little League for three years uh, mm. before I went into uh, politics. So so I think it's just good to go over there. And you got you got a lot of players who, for a number of reasons uh, are not with affiliated baseball teams and they want to get back. They, their goal is to be picked up again by a major league team to get back into minor league ball and, and, and continue their career. So it could be injuries. It could be uh, maturity issues. Uh, so they're staying in shape. They're getting to play and mm-hmm. hoping to get noticed. Uh, right. And, and the, the league is scouted. Uh, it's heavily scouted hmm. and everyone's looking. What, what it's good for is uh, let's say you had a minor league team and you have uh, an injury, or you have a player that's been sent to another level up, right. and you don't think you have a player that's ready to make that change, so they'll go down and they'll buy players from teams like the T-Bones and, and try to fill that spot until they get a guy ready. And sometimes that's all a guy needs to reestablish himself hmm. and, and get more of a look from a, from a major league club. Wow, that's kind of cool. So you you do free lessons on Saturdays? Uh, I, I teach private lessons. Pri- oh, private lessons. Uh-huh. Yeah, on Saturday mornings. And kids from here in the Kansas City area get Frank White. Yeah, <laughs> that's a pretty big deal for them. Yeah, and I, and I do it. Uh, normally, I, my schedule not, is not as heavy as it used to be. Yeah. but uh, it, it's a good time between uh, January and February the twenty fifth. Uh, you kind of take guys, getting guys ready for their high school tryouts, and you try to work with them. Mm. And, and then you take the guys who don't make their high school teams, and you keep them getting getting those guys ready for their summer teams. So it's always work to do, and it just depends on how much work you mm-hmm. want to do. Is it building the mechanics or building on the mechanics they have or giving them a morale boost? Well, I think I think the confidence is, is in how they perform. Uh, and you, you mainly are looking for ways to uh, teach them to be aggressive and, and to be confident and and you work on their on the, on their fundamentals. So once they're as their fundamentals get better, then the confidence level goes up mm-hmm. because they're starting to see success and and they can experience it time and time again. Who was it in your life that gave you that confidence? You know, my dad really, because he was he was really uh, he loved baseball and he made sure I played and and he attended uh, all of our games and and having good coaching um, at a young age. Uh, I think it was more and when in the city you. Your parents are working, so you need a coach that doesn't mind come picking you up and taking mm. you to practice. And then my dad would come pick us up after practice. And who was that? What uh, coach really did it for you? Uh, coach Brown. Uh, he was my coach from fourteen to eighteen. I played with Hallmark Cards in the County Mac League, and and huh. uh, he was that guy that just mainly he was um, kind of like kind of like uh, Dick Hauser in a way. He just sort of laid, stayed back and let you right. do your thing. And 
uh, we know we practiced really hard, and and when the game came, he just got out of the way and let us mm-hmm. do it, and that was that was a lot of fun. So, tell us about baseball. What years were those here in Kansas City? Oh boy, I tell you. Oh, boy. from my freshman year to my senior year mm-hmm. in high school, so that's probably sixty-four to sixty-eight, and then after that, it was uh, Van Johnson League. Doing it, then when I was in then Van Johnson League. I left and went as a new league. Casey Stengel League was formed, and my coach there was Hilton Smith, who was the who was a Negro League pitcher, Hall of Famer, and he was my coach when I actually went and tried out for the Ross Baseball Academy. And how did that happen? The interesting story I've heard before with Mr. K. Oh, <laughs> well, I was at work and I got a call from uh, my coach and uh, and he said that we're also having tryout camps for the this experimental baseball academy. And I went to my boss. Uh, his name was uh, Mr. Bozart, and I was working at Metals Protection Plating Company right there at Truman Road in Chestnut, which is still there. And I went to him and asked him for a couple of days off, and I was afraid uh, because I thought he was going to say no. But he thought about it a little bit and he gave me a couple of days off. I went down. I was pretty petrified walking into the municipal stadium because I'd never been to a trial camp. And mm. you had like 300 boys there. And as you got the feel for what they wanted you to do, it got a little easier because everybody threw from right field. Everybody took ground balls from shortstop. And then you, you took some uh, swings in a cage. And that was it, really. Mm. And then he asked me to come back the second day. And then I, um, after the second day, they said, we want you to go to the baseball academy. And I was I was making $100 a week. And, and so I was concerned about how much it was going to pay because I was married, had my first child then. Right. And and I, the next day, uh, his chauffeur came by and, you know. Mr. Kaufman's chauffeur came to your house. Came to my house. Uh, the guy who owned the Royals. Yep. <laughs> yes, he did. And and he came by the house and uh, he pulled up in a big blue limo and, you know, and we did 29th and Olive and you put a limo on somebody's block. <laughs> Everybody came out to it, and so the the, uh, the chauffeur's name was Blanche. Uh, and so when Blanche came up to the house, he he said, "Mr. Cable, love to talk to you." And I said, "Okay." And so I went out to the car. He opened the door, and and he wasn't in the car. And he said, "Oh, he's on the, he's on the car phone." I hadn't, I had no idea about a car phone. Uh, and so I got in the car, and and all my buddies are circled the car. The door shut. You can't see in because of the tinting. And he said, "Well, I'd love to have you go to this baseball academy." See, that was what, he had to waive one rule because originally, if you're married, you couldn't go. And so he waived that rule. And then I said, well, Mr. Kaufman, how much is it going to pay for me to go? And he says, it's going to be $50 a month plus, <laughs> plus room and board. And, and I said, well, that's not really going to work too well for me because I'm making $100 a week. I'm married. My son. I said, that's just not going to work. And he, and he was really, really funny. He said, well, really, it's not $50 a month. It's going to be $48.50 after taxes. <laughs> <laughs> So, so but to, to make a long story short, he uh, he gave my wife a job at the uh, at the stadium in the ticket office, and she moved in with my parents, and and I was off to Florida. Hmm. And how long were you there? I say total uh, eighteen months, probably. Uh, we went in uh, August of seventy, and and then in the spring of seventy uh, two. We we had to uh, try one for our, for our minor, one of our minor league teams, mm-hmm. and so we had a lot of success. Uh, we learned the fundamentals of the game we, six days a week, and and they brought in uh, major league players to work with us and show us different things. They brought in like, Cookie Rojas and Amos Sotis, and wow, and they, they even brought Ted Williams in to show talk to us about hitting. And, and really, it was great. Yeah, so, wow. 
everybody, uh, you know, you're making fifty dollars a month, and every ninety days they give you another fifty dollars. Yeah, and. Uh, I think I, I remember our first meeting with Mr. Kaufman. He comes in, he's got his Hickey Freeman sport coat on with all the different colors in it. You know, he was a pretty stylish guy. Yeah. And and his first first words out of his mouth was, "As you guys know, I'm worth many millions of dollars." <laughs> so, so everybody's looking around like, "Oh boy!" <laughs> so it was, it was pretty hilarious. He seemed like a neat guy. I would have he liked great. to have met him. He was great. I mean, he wouldn't come into clubhouse and and get on us about anything and. Uh, he was at every game. Uh, you know, seventh inning was, you know, every, automatically the people would just turn around and look up in his booth and mm. for the seventh inning stretch. And I remember 77 was really a, uh, a really a, of, an, of an odd year for him because we had just had a tough series in Chicago going into the All-Star break and we're like six and a half games back coming home. Uh, and he called a meeting. Which he never calls clubhouse meetings, so everybody's like, "Oh man, this this mm. might be," you know. We were expecting a doozy that day, but then he just came in and and just uh, told us how, how how he felt about us and told us how confident he was in us that we were we were the team that could win the Western Division and wow. And then he gave everybody uh, an envelope with two hundred dollars in it. He said, "You guys go out, take your ladies out, have a good time, and come back and let's win." And we came back and right out of the shoot, we won sixteen games in a row and lost one. I think we won ten more in a row and. And pretty much the season, wow. it was over. I think that's the year we won 120, 102 games. So how did you get, what was your first year playing for the Royals? Uh, 1973. Uh, I, you know, it was interesting. In the, back in those days, we had to work in the winter. And I was coming out of double A. Because you didn't make enough money? Didn't make enough money, yeah. No. Because uh, we, you know, it wasn't bonus babies. A bonus baby back in those days, $30,000 was a bonus baby back in the 70s. Hmm. So we uh, basically... In rookie ball, they paid everybody five hundred a month, and double A is six hundred a month, and triple A was like seven fifty a month. Mm-hmm. And the, your season only goes from April into August, so you had to get from end of August to next April. And my first year, uh, I drew unemployment, and because I couldn't <laughs> find a job for six wow. Months. And so then the second year, uh, again, um, Mr. Cosmos Chauffeur came up to the house to give his limo. He said, "I want to take you somewhere." I said, "Okay." So so he took me over to. Uh, the labor union uh, over on Armour and gave me, uh, I got my union card, my laborer's card, and and they were in the last year of building the stadium. And so I started working at the stadium in uh, September of... You uh, actually helped build the stadium yeah. the Royals now play in? Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I was... Uh, I mean, <laughs> I would say I use the word "bill" lightly. Right, right. Uh, but but I, you were involved. In I guess I started working there in September of '72 until April of '73, and when I left for spring training, and then in June of '73, I was playing on I was playing on that field. It was a pretty amazing story. That is, I've never <laughs> heard that before. Yeah. So I did. I, was, I just, you know, when they poured the columns on the first level, and I had this machine, and I would go from column to column, and it raised me up, and I would. Smooth out the uh, the you know the the cement that was over. Did you leave your initials anywhere? No, I didn't. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I wasn't smart enough to do that. And, and I you know I sealed some floors and in the bathrooms and stuff like that. But most times I, I really felt like I was just carrying stuff to people that really knew what they right. were doing. But uh, yeah, that's that, crazy. That was it. Yeah. So. All right. So what year did you stop playing for the Royals? Uh, stop playing. Yeah, uh, 1973. So I played for. I'm sorry. I, stopped, I played from 1973 to 1990. 90. Mm-hmm. What was that like? Your last game out there. Uh, my last year with the Royals wasn't very good. I mean, it wasn't very. Um, I didn't like it at all. You know why? So, well, because I think sometimes when you you play a long time with a team and you expect 
things to go a certain way in your last year. And, and it sort of went the way of uh, not a guy who's been here for a long time and has been well-respected and deserves some sort of uh, respect going out. It was more like, uh, well, we got this new guy in AAA and, and they start cutting your time back and they, mm. uh, they look for reasons not to play you. And, and Did you know that that was happening? Or looking mm -hmm. back, you knew that? No well, I mean, I knew that... Um, I was I was probably thirty eight maybe uh, almost thirty nine so I knew that time was coming uh, I just thought it would go out a little bit differently I thought it'd be more like uh, like George not not take a, a, a tour around the league but right, right. but I thought it'd be more of a thank you coming to me and saying well you know maybe you should think about this maybe being your last year maybe we can do some things and and make it easier but it turned out to be um, really. Uh, uh, a bad taste in my mouth. The way it, you way still it have that out. bad taste. No, 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 I've already, I'm no matured, bitterness. I matured past that. You know, so <laughs> I, I think I think that you just have, um, you know, I think as you get older, you get more prideful, and yeah, and and I think that you just have to make sure that you did everything that you could do that uh, that wouldn't cause uh, any long term embarrassment. So I was just determined not to say or do anything that I would. Regret the rest. Of Did my you career. want to go back and work for them in some capacity in the front office or coaching or? Well, the Rose didn't really have that uh, that history back in those days. Usually, when you're done, you're done, mm -hmm. and all of our, a lot of our players went to other teams to either play at the end or or either, or either work at the end, and and then it wasn't until I think ninety ninety seven because I'd been with the Red Sox for three years coaching, mm -hmm. and then after uh, the Rose made a change with Bob Boone. And Tony Musa came in, and that's when they offered me the job to coach first base. Right. And what was that like coming back to coach first base? Uh, I, I really uh, enjoyed it. I, I think the fans enjoyed it a lot. I mean, when I was I enjoyed seeing when it, I was coaching yeah. first yeah. base with a Red Sox uniform, I, <laughs> it was weird. But but I think that uh, the perspective that I was able to get from going to another team was mm -hmm. was very good. I mean, I really felt like uh, just getting away from Kansas City for a little while and. And and at that time, KC was going through a big change in, in players, and and it was right after the the strike year '94, and they went really young, and it wouldn't have been a, as good of experience then as because I was with the Red Sox, who we knew were going to be challenging for a division championship. So it was a lot mm -hmm. of fun. So then, uh, after your baseball days, mm -hmm. what did you do? Well, when I um, well, when I was at the Royals, I, I went to I went from coaching first for three or four years right. to the front office where I was a, a special assistant to a general manager, and then I went to then I decided I wanted to try coaching and managing in the minors, and that's when I uh, put my name in the hat for the Double A job, and it was probably '04, and that's when I started managing in Wichita, so I managed there. Oh, four, five, and six, and was really lucky to manage some of our better players uh, through, through that time. And, and in my last year, in 06, uh, that's when I had uh, uh, Billy Butler and and uh, Alex Gordon and hmm. Zach Greinke and Ho Shaver, and I had pretty much every number one draft choice that we had in our system that was ready that they thought was ready to play at the higher levels. And then we had other uh, number one draft choice that we'd gotten from other teams. So we went to the championship. Uh, Series and lost to Corpus Christi in game, game, game five, I believe, of that series. Those are some big names. Yeah, I mean, it was a great team. I mean, Billy Butler led the league in hitting. Uh, Alex had a great year. Granky was on his way, and, and that was after he had the uh, the issues here in Kansas right. City, and then he came down and played 
on under a major league contract for a while. But then when he was assigned to Double A for the rest of that year, I, you know, it was a lot of a lot of long talks after games, and uh, he I mean he was a smart guy, and and he you know you just had to spend a little time with him and make him feel like he was part of everything, and hmm. it was it was it was fun. He was fun to have on the team. How did you end up? Uh, you sold roofing, or you were with a roofing company <laughs> here in town, right? Mm-hmm. How did that? How did that happen? Well, that happened after I. Uh, well, when I went when I started on broadcast for the Royals, mm-hmm. and uh, there was a a dispute between myself and and the Royals on contracts and things like that, and so I decided that uh, I wanted to uh, move away. Uh, I, I I didn't want to get. Uh, pigeonholed in one area. I wanted to be a lot, a lot broader, and then I thought I'd have a career on on TV. Uh, but after the next year, I think it was eleven. I think it might have been. Then they decided that they were going to make a change. Did they tell you why? Uh, Fox Four said it because uh, the Ross felt I was too negative on on the broadcast and negative or truthful. Well, <laughs> it's all a bit of interpretation. <laughs> But, you know, I really felt like, and then I had to reevaluate it, and I said, well, if it was true, then you'd hear from parents and players and wives and girlfriends right. and things like that. So all I heard was good things from people. Uh, so you think there was another reason? Well, I think it's always, uh, it's always personalities, you know, and, and, and I think when personalities come into things and, you know, and the, like I say, he has a goal, make the rules, and yeah. you just have to make that adjustment. So after I left the Royals, I probably went a year and a half, maybe two years uh, trying to find out what I wanted to do. And, and then uh, Rich Hoffman, who owns Precision Roofing, called me and said, then you want to come to work for us? And so I went to work for them, did a lot of marketing. You did pretty good with them. I loved it. I mean, I was able to uh, learn a whole new aspect of things. I think that's what I really like about my life is that um, with just a junior college education, uh, I really felt like I've been able to do some things mm. uh, well above uh, whatever I thought I could do. And, and I really just feel like I've been blessed to be able to always be in a position where I could make adjustments and 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 I've I've never been one to shy away from work. I mean, my 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 life started picking cotton in Mississippi. So so when you do that, then you, you can started out that. picking cotton in Mississippi. Yeah. Wow. That was my first. Well, my, my grandparents had a farm, so you do all your farm work, right. you know. But my parents would send us back down in the summer, and and then we'd go to summer school in the mornings after we uh, do our chores and meaning collecting eggs and, and feeding the hogs and uh, staking the bull out, milking the cow, that kind of stuff. And, mm. and then we go to school till noon. Then we come back, have lunch, and then we go out in, in, in the fields. So you ever ring a chicken's neck? Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> I used to watch my great grandmother do that. I'm like, I cannot take part in this. Yeah, it was. But it sure tasted good. Yeah, it was. It was, it was, it was oh my goodness. It, it wasn't. It wasn't easy, believe me. Mm. <laughs> but uh, it was. You kind of want to do that now with some people. <laughs> How did you get approached to get into politics here locally? Well, I you know after I was uh, I was doing a roofing and and. Uh, I was approached by quite a few folks uh, that said I, they thought I, I would be good at it. Uh, you at know, what? At, at just the political side of it, because I was very just in general. Yeah, because yeah. I, I was very community minded. Um, I um, I was a guy who who was not politically inclined. Uh, didn't have any um, not didn't have any real projects or anything that I um, that I wanted to get done. My only thing I wanted to do was being out of out of that realm. You always ask yourself why things don't get done. 
why can't this be done? Mm -hmm. Why is there money for this or that? And why, 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 why are there not enough money spent on uh, certain communities and things like that? So, so I really, I thought, I think about those things all the time because I, when you grow up in the urban core, members of your family is faced in, with, in some aspect of this all the time. And so you, so you, so I was the only guy who was lucky enough to uh, rise to notoriety, and and I really felt like if I could be on that side, then I could have better answers for them on mm. this side, and and that's when that's when I decided to go ahead and do it. Is there an imbalance in spending for the urban core in Jackson County versus other programs that are no, suburbia? I, I don't think so, because um, most all the funding that the legislature. Uh, uh, allows that that funding is based on uh, these agencies coming in and going in front of them during the budget on budget time and, right. and and so they give an idea of who these agencies are so it's really uh, a lot more um, equitable than than one would think and you not only with the legislature but then you also have your agencies that apply for combat funding and agencies that maybe be, with the new children's service fund that that was mm -hmm. that was voted on. So th these agencies wait for for these uh, uh, these groups or these pro these organizations to come to them and present and 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 then they make decisions on whether or not they're going to fund them and things like that. So they approach you to run for county legislator. Mm -hmm. Did you think you had a? Uh, it was inevitable that you were going to win. Or did you think, oh my goodness, I don't know if I want to do this? <laughs> well, you know, the one thing I don't ever do is I, I never take for granted that things are going to go right. Uh, I remember winning my uh, first seven go gloves, eight first eight go gloves. I never expected to win them. I never thought about it. And when they called me and said you won, then I was just ex really excited. Uh, and then I was in my in in the season where I, I was confident that I win my ninth, where I played 150 mm -hmm. games, only made four errors that year. Didn't miss a ground ball. Didn't miss a thrown ball. I made four errors. They were all thrown errors to four different first basemen, which is kind of weird. But I, mean, I only made four errors for that year, and the gold glove went to Harold Reynolds. So that's the only year mm. that I expected to win, and, and, and that would make me the first second baseman to win nine gold gloves. So when I didn't win, then I was mad at myself because normally I don't let myself go there. And so, so people say, well, you have name recognition, you know, you're going to win. But I never take that for granted because as long as people have to vote, then you, you just really can't put yourself in that mindset that uh, it, it's going to happen. You've still got to do your work and you still have to uh, work as if, you, if you're losing. And I think that is uh, the approach I take. Mm -hmm. So then the opening came for the county executive. Mm -hmm. How were you approached to run for that? Uh, my colleagues on the legislature, they really felt like I was the guy that they thought could uh, do the job. Uh, and Did they say why? Uh, I think they had confidence that, I mean, I've, I've spent a year with them on the legislature, and I think it's um, how you handle yourself. Uh, you try to be a voice of reason all the time. And I think, I, I, in my mind, uh, it was a big step for me. I said, boy, I can't believe they're asking me to do this. But when your colleagues are showing that kind of confidence in you, then you, you feel like, okay, I can get it done and just surround myself with people that can, that can help me adjust. And, and I was getting, I was going to be really starting with a, a very experienced uh, staff on, on, on the executive side. So I had a lot of experience to, uh, to get me going. Mm -hmm. So I was really uh, humbled by the fact that they wanted me to be that guy. And, and so that, that's why I, I accepted to do it. 
So what happened? Why, <laughs> how did the relationship change between you and the colleagues once you became county executive? Well, I, you know, I, I don't know if the overall relationship has changed. I still have individual conversations with some of them. I mean, they're very smart people and uh, very experienced people. And, and I think there's just a matter of, of just one, one side expecting one to do something when, when we're both sides should be doing it the same way. Um, and not being that true politician, uh, and you know, there's always that little, uh, you should be doing this, or and, and I'm saying, well, they should be doing that. So, so it's just really coming together and, and really just getting on the same page. And, and, and I think that is really uh, something I think can definitely be worked out. But there is a conflict, though. The, you're, was there a feeling that once they got you into the position that you would kind of do what they wanted? Is that the sense you get? Well, I... <laughs> I mean, it's it's probably the sense I had, you know, when I after a few months in there. But but I did my uh, I did my homework, and and I think that is uh, one of the things that I'm most proud of is that I was able to recognize right away where I needed uh, support and what I needed to uh, to pay attention to. And so then you go and you hire the right people that that are going to be closest to you that that you know that's going to they're going to keep you out of trouble and give you some good guidance and. And I think that gave me the confidence then to uh, continue to do the things that, that I needed to do for, uh, for the citizens and for the community. So what is the current situation? Because it's not, it's not uh, the program that you stepped into originally. Mm -hmm. there, there is conflict. There is um, division mm -hmm. on the legislature. What, what's the source of all that? Well, change. You know, you have... Um, no term limits in, in Jackson County, and, and some guys have been there a long time, you know, 30 years, a couple guys 20 years plus. So, and, and you try to respect the guys for that. I mean, to be able to do this job that long, you have to give those guys respect for it. And, and, and change is never easy uh, for anyone. And so I just basically uh, try to be respectful of that. But at the same time, you, you, you don't necessarily want to run your uh, administration according to what someone Thinks you should be running. You want to run it the way you see it and the way you feel every day when you go in and you look at the people that that work for you. I mean, you're the county executive and you're over 1,100 people, and so you have to really be cognizant of those folks when you make decisions. and And that's what I try to do. Are they being are the employees being treated properly? Do you I, I, I think that overall, uh, since I've gone, I mean, when I came in there, I was. Uh, they were it was forty percent below a living wage, and we've worked hard to uh, make that better. Uh, now there's no one at the county that makes less than ten dollars an hour, and so and there's another two percent in this year's budget and then eighteen budget. So we're 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 cognizant of that. We we really want to make sure that. And and one of my things is that I want to make sure that whatever I do is is really going toward improving the quality of life of the the associates that work for the county and also for the programs that we're administering into uh, the community. Hmm. Everyone's talking about the jail. That's been the hot topic. <laughs> yes. um, something has to be done. What do, you, what do you want to do to the jail? Well, right now, until the decision is made and, and which way we need to go, um, I think right now we need to keep focusing on the one we have. And you inherited a, I inherited that at a bad time. I mean, it's, you're talking 20, almost 25 years of of, uh, I, will, I hesitate to use the word neglect, but uh, just not being funded properly enough to keep up with the maintenance. And, and so I think over the last uh, two years, we've been, I've put 
close to $5 million in, in just trying to keep up with uh, the, the safety security issues there. And, uh, and I think those are the things that uh, we're focusing on right now. See, my administration, we're responsible for uh, the safety and security of the uh, corrections officers and the inmates. And so, but there are other factors uh, that play into it. I mean, the legislature, that they're the arm that gives you the funding. Mm -hmm. And then the prosecutor and the, and the judges, those, those are folks that determine who's in, who's in there, along with law enforcement, who, who's in there, how long they stay. And those are things I can't control. So we, we manage. So if they give us a crowded facility, we have to try to manage it. If we have under, uh, un or we're understaffed, we have to try to manage that still. And so my job is to keep working for uh, higher wages, to cut down on the, uh, the turnover rate, uh, to make sure that we, the county, we spent a lot of money um, in training. And then once we get people trained, and and they get certified. Uh, it may, maybe it's in parks and public works and and driving big machinery. And then they leave. Once mm -hmm. they get the CDL license, we lose them to bigger uh, construction companies. So what I'm trying to do now is get find that that level of pay that we can not only hire and train but also retain. And so my HR department right now is looking at how much money we're spending in training and and not being able to keep the people that we train. So that. So it's going to be a, a probably won't be an exact number they come up with, right. but at least you'd be in the ballpark of where you probably need where the goal needs to be to get the, to get these people. Because I mean, everybody goes through it in the county, and and when you have low wages, you, you get you have a big turnover of people, and and you're just trying to make sure that you can get them more stable in that area. So what does a jailer make at Jackson County right now? Do you know? Uh, right, they right now they start at about twelve sixty, and after six months, it goes up. So you mm -hmm. can be with that. You can be. In, in, in the 14 range uh, within a year. Uh, so right now, um, I'm trying to get them um, a starting pay of $15 an hour, and that's real close. Will that be competitive with surrounding counties? We'll still be a little low, but uh, it'll be better uh, because we are you know, we're competing for the same folks. You're right. And, and I think that is one. I think if you start at $15 an hour, I think you may be able to hire uh, more qualified people and be able to train them and, maybe, and retain them longer. Not forever, uh, but because it takes a certain kind of person that wants to work in a jail yeah. to begin with, and and they and they when they go in there, they go in there for a reason, and and whether it be to get more training, more experience, to go somewhere else, who knows? But but you just want to make sure that you let them know that you you're concerned about their safety, and and you don't uh, disrespect the job that they do, and we and I try to I really pay a lot of attention to them, give them as much exposure as I can give them. Uh, I speak at their graduating classes. We'll be speaking at a hundred and I think hundred twenty second graduating class next week, and making sure we bring them out of the facility over to the legislative chamber, invite their families, and mm -hmm. and just make, make them feel special. Yeah, and then you bring in uh, uh, other speakers. You may bring in uh, uh, Rick Smith, the new police chief, or the new head of the FBI to speak to them, or it could be the sheriff, it could be the prosecuting attorney. Uh, it could be any member of the legislature. So mainly it's giving everyone and I uh, a chance to put their face on each other and names and so mm -hmm. forth. And, and I think that's been a good deal. They, they mm -hmm. really feel appreciative of that. So do you, when's the election again for Kennedy? Uh, there's a primary in August. And, this uh, August? This August, yes. And you're running? Yes. Uh -huh. How do you feel about that? I feel confident. I mean, I really, I, Mark, I really feel like uh, I'm, I'm doing the right thing. I, I really feel like uh, I have the the passion for 
uh, people. Uh, I love people, and I really believe that everything we do in life starts and ends with people. And and I and I think if you give your people the tools that they need to be successful and and, and get out of the way and let them do it, uh, I, I think you you get good results. And and I think we've just been able to hire some good folks, and they really make that a little bit easier. You know, hiring Diana Turner as the acting mm -hmm. director of the jail, and and Isaac Johnston was promoted to deputy um, director, and that's 50 years of correctional experience between those two folks. And and t in total, the guys that we've hired for to try to get accreditation back to this facility. So we've got over 100 years of experience uh, at the jail now, and and with the training and. And the, the passion that they have for getting it done right, I think that that is going to help us. What's your next phase in life? <laughs> retire. <Hopefully>. Retire <laughs> and do what? What do you want to do when I, you retire? I, I'll just go back to doing what I probably normally would be doing if I didn't have this job. I would probably, for recreation, I'll be fishing. I'll be playing golf. Um, You're yeah. a big fisherman? Yes, I love it. What, what kind of fish do you like it? Uh, we, uh, uh, we, well, my, my fishing buddy and I, we like, uh, we, we do white bass, uh, blue cat, and, uh, and crappie. Those, really? those are our three, I love crappie. Those are our three favorites. Where do you go fishing? Uh, mostly Truman. Yeah. Uh -huh. And then we'll, and then I'll occasionally take a trip to, um, uh, to Canada, the northern, for northern pike, or I'll go to, uh, Beaver Lake for a big striper. Yeah. So the thing that I've learned when I took this job is that you don't need a boat. You don't have time to use right, it. Right, right. So you just... Uh, Find somebody who has a boat. <laughs> well, or you wait or... You just do guide yeah. service. You know? Oh, guide service. Right. So, a lot, so a lot of times what we'll, what we'll do is we'll go to the sports show when it comes, or the boat show. And then all those guys are there and you yeah. just go by their booths and you look at their program and what they're, the type of fish you want to fish for and, hmm. and then you kind of go from there. So it's, You ever been trout fishing? Only once. Really? Yeah. We need to go. Yeah. Only Have once. you been to Bennett Springs? Have you ever? Uh, been? Not Bennett Springs, but uh, uh, last year we went down to, you know, Cassville is? Mm -hmm. So my wife, uh, Teresa, she wanted to fly fish. And, and my buddy Jeff, his wife, Lisa, wanted to fly fish. And I've never done it. So we all went down there and and we, cat, you know, it, it's, yeah, it's a that, whole different get, sport. Get, get that wrist thing mm -hmm. down. It's, it, and then you sit, you see, see all the fish, you know, in, in, <laughs> in, in, the, in the little creek there. Uh -huh. And then you you cast out, and if it's not the right fly, they just say, well, right. And you wonder why they won't do it, and it's all timing, and it's. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we were able to catch four or five, which was was a lot of fun. So good, good pitching. Totally different. Well, yeah. maybe we'll go fishing this summer. <laughs> I love to. All right, to. Frank. Thank you. I enjoy being your friend. Oh, Mark, I've got to be your friend too. Thank all right, you. take care. Yeah. I'm comfortable talking to Mark Alford. He don't make me feel like I gotta kneel at a dark altar. His colleagues are cool, things are jolly and smooth. Anything else, it'll be part stupid and part awkward. Do your homework before you talk to a vet. That way you won't get no static camera from tech. I'm on my own planet. I'm in my zone, damn it. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence.